Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 153, Fueling the Classics. This one's again, is going to be written uh, for technicians, but it's, uh, I really got a kick out of it. It's kind of a walk down memory lane, but it, it lets you know to where we came from as far as uh, air fuel mixture and carburetors and fuel injection and, ooh, um, you know, it just, it, it'll be fun, kind of fun. And it's, it's a really good article. Um, this is from a, a, a trade technical magazine called Motor Age. And I want to give credit to the author, who is Brandon Steckler. Uh, he does a lot of technical writing. And uh, a couple quick commercials. Again, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's always bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. And again, if you want to get to the main page of this uh, podcast, it's it's distributed through podbean.com. Just do a search for Brad Kyle's MotorWorks podcast. You come to the main homepage for the podcast. If you want to do a donation or, or set up a subscription, upper right-hand corner, there's a link for Become a Patron, and just fill that out. I'm asking for $5 a month. You can do less. You can do more. Uh, it does not have to be ongoing. Uh, the, the benefit it gets you is I've taken about 12 to 15 of the podcasts from previously, and um, these are ones that if you apply the information that I give to you or talk about, uh, there's no doubt you could save thousands, if not maybe even tens of thousands of dollars uh, over the life of your automotive ownership, so to speak, and driving experience, and uh, maybe save yourself some frustration too. So I just took what I thought were the really good ones that would help you save some money and and uh, essentially monetize them. So they're only available through subscription. Um, again, you can, uh, if you wanted to, you know, subscribe for a month or something and download those and Whatever else you want, uh, that's up to you, certainly. But I appreciate any ongoing help that could be had. So uh, let's get into this one. Uh, it's called Fueling the Classics. Uh, the recipe for adequate engine power output, decent fuel mileage, and clean tailpipe emissions is like telling a funny joke. It's all about the delivery. The carburetor of years past did a tremendous job of propelling down the road the heavy steel beasts we used to call automobiles. For decades, it was the fuel delivery method used for gasoline-powered engines by most automobiles, recreational vehicles, and power equipment. The carburetor still does a fantastic job of accomplishing that goal. Proof of that is its wide use in racing circuits around the world even today. However, if power output were the only goal, we likely would not have realized the birth of the computerized fuel injection systems we've come to know over the past four decades or so. The history of fuel delivery. A properly tuned carburetor did a fantastic job of keeping our gasoline internal combustion engines running strong and fuel efficient. To accomplish this task, these purely mechanical devices relied on pressure differential as the incoming air from the atmosphere passed the carburetor's jets. Designed as venturis, these jets would spill liquid fuel into the passing airstream, which would help to atomize the liquid fuel. As the air fuel charge made its way through the intake runners of the manifold and into the intake valve ports, the new homogenized mixture would enter the 
combustion chambers and lie in wait for the ignition event to initiate the combustion process. For the carburetor to accomplish this, the tremendous task of satisfying the engine's demands under all operating conditions, different fuel supply circuits were in place within the carburetor assembly. What follows describes a smaller motorcycle carburetor's construction, but the idea is the same, to maintain the appropriate air-fuel ratio under all operating conditions. The float circuit was there to accomplish two goals. First, when float height was adjusted properly to ensure there was always some reserve fuel within the carburetor for a high demand acceleration or a sustained high load pull, perhaps up a hill. The second goal was to prevent the carburetor from overfilling and either slugging the engine with non-compressible liquid fuel or spilling excessive fuel down the outside of the carburetor, which would be like a motorcycle carburetor. So it always maintains a full, but not overfull carburetor bowl. The idle circuit or pilot circuit existed to supply adequate air-fuel ratio or periods of closed throttle idle and very low throttle angles, maybe about 15% throttle. The circuit was metered by a jet. The larger the jet diameter, the more fuel this, would, the fuel this jet would provide per given incoming air volume. This allowed the engine to be stable at low engine speeds. The mid-range circuit provides fuel during increases in throttle demand greater than 15 to 20 percent angle. As the throttle plate opens, more air enters the carburetor. Simultaneously, a tapered needle, which fits inside another fuel jet, is shuttled and more of the fuel stream is exposed to the venturi. This allowed more fuel to more closely match the increasing the increase of incoming air. The main metering circuit houses the main jet. This jet is very large in diameter as the tapered needle I just described fits inside it. Under wide throttle angles, the needle is drawn out of this jet and allows very little restriction to fuel flow into the carburetor's throat. This of course provides the fuel needed under heavier loads. The accelerator pump circuit does what it says. Since under transient throttle conditions, the air entering the engine moves at a different rate than the fuel can be delivered, this pump squirts an added dose of fuel with the throttle blade's movement. This circuit is a particularly helpful under rapid increases in throttle angle and prevents what many of us experience when moving, mowing our lawns. Take notice that if the throttle level of a lawnmower is too swiftly shuttled, the idling engine will tend to stumble before it accelerates. This is due to a momentary lean condition as these carburetors aren't typically equipped with an accelerator pump. The choke circuit exists to provide a richer fuel mixture during cold startup. This could occur by adding additional fuel or limiting the amount of incoming air. Either method will create a richer air-fuel mixture. A cold engine requires additional fuel because the chill tends to condense the fuel and not allow it to vaporize. Only fuel in a gaseous state will combust. The additional fuel of the choke circuit overcomes that issue. The additional fuel, oh boy, as the engine warms, the fuel will become more volatile and evaporate on its own. Therefore, the choke circuit will no longer be needed. The evolution of fuel delivery. After decades, an air quality crisis arose from running vehicles and other sources of pollution. A substance known as photochemical smog was caused by pollutants reacting with sunlight. It created a haze over metropolitan areas like Los Angeles, which made it not only difficult to see, but also very uncomfortable and dangerous to breathe, along with acid rain. The birth of the Clean Air Act was a result. 
This forced the hand of the manufacturers to produce cleaner running engines. Mandates meant a reduction of tailpipe emissions and the addition of evaporative emissions and such pollution controls in automobiles. The computerized fuel injection system was another result. Computers are not smart. They simply process a lot of data very rapidly. That is exactly the job of the ECU or electronic control unit. To receive inputs from sensors representing physical quantities, pressure, temperature, angle, and weight. Process the data, decide how to deal with current engine operating conditions, and then generate an output. Create an injector pulse width with injector pulse width to deliver the appropriate fuel. So this shouldn't be rocket science. However, many technicians have been struggling to understand computerized fuel injection, and as a result, drivability issues tend to be the average shop's worst nightmare. These issues tend to eat up most of the workday, sometimes the work week, and the frustration that follows causes technicians to offer their best guess. And we all know, and we know all too well how that story typically ends. So why not take the time to back up and master the basics? Well, that's just it. It takes time, but I will demonstrate. As mentioned above, fuel injector pulse width is the result of an equation, yes, math. And believe it or not, delivering the fuel to the cylinder is quite the easy part. Think about it like this. The engineers that design the fueling system, thorough testing, realize the flow rate of the fuel injectors themselves. They know what the fuel pump is capable of discharging at a known wattage, and they know how much latency exists between actual injector turn-on and when the injector physically shuttles. Where does the real challenge lie? It's accurately determining how much air entered in the cylinder. It's the job of the ECU to maintain an adequate air-fuel ratio under all RPM and engine load ranges. Sound familiar? This is where the math comes into play. The inputs exist to provide data to the ECU about the instantaneous operating conditions. Inputs equal current operating conditions. Mass airflow, or what's known as MAF, or manifold absolute pressure, which is known as MAP, sensors. These devices serve two very different strategies to determine the gram weight of the incoming air. One takeaway is that MAF is a direct airflow measurement and MAP is an inferred value. The difference in pressure between that inside the intake manifold and the atmosphere position. With the input now being a request, the ECU can anticipate the proper fuel enrichment for the requested input before the throttle is moved and maintain better control of the tailpipe emissions. Crankshaft camshaft position sensors, also known as CKP-CMP. Both these inputs report the angle space of their respective shafts. This provides input about the cylinder position, speed of rotation, lack of cylinder contribution, misfire, and the phase of the camshaft. TDC of the compression stroke versus TDC of the exhaust stroke. Simply because there are two crankshaft rotations in every cycle of a four-stroke engine. These determine the timing of the injectors and how frequently to fire them. All of the above inputs are chewed up and spit out by the ECU, processed to determine operating conditions and create an input injector pulse width output. To hammer home the point, it really is a simple process. It just takes stepping back and understanding, as we have done, to, to become efficient at evalu evaluating this data. Parameters for proper enrichment. 
As is almost always the case, the noose of emission standards is tightening and it's why computerized fuel injection systems have come to be. So, to replace the carburetor with a system of stricter fuel control in all load and RPM ranges, the computerized fuel injection system operates on six basic fueling strategies. Startup enrichment. This mode responds to import for starter operation only. The injector pulse width is modified to accommodate the cranking engine and provides extra fuel. This is accomplished by either increasing injector pulse width duration and or adding additional pulses per cylinder each engine cycle. Warm-up enrichment. This mode responds to input from the ECT, which is engine coolant temperature, in case you wanted to know, as discussed earlier. It accommodates a cold engine and its effect on fuel's volatility, ability to evaporate. Enrichment is heavier with cold temperatures and tapers off as the engine warms up to approximately 170 degrees Fahrenheit when additional enrichment is no longer necessary. Density enrichment. This mode responds to input from the IAT, which is intake air temperature, as discussed earlier. Colder air is denser, therefore, more of it can fit into a given space when compared to warmer air. It is a critical factor in determining the gram weight of the incoming air. Combining with input from the load sensor, uh, MAP or MAF, this equation can be derived. Air mass equals density times volume. Okay. Volumetric efficiency enrichment. The way an engine breathes is not linear, meaning throttle angle and RPM are not the only factors in breathability. Each engine design breathes differently and the contrary to popular belief. It is actually more efficient below peak RPM. For that reason, engines are mapped out during engineering and initial testing to determine their rates of efficiency under all RPM load operating ranges. This information is programmed into the ECU so it can adjust injector pulse width based solely on how efficient the engine breathes in each of these load RPM operating cells. Accelerated acceleration enrichment. Transient conditions like changes in throttle angle are the, are the running conditions most likely to cause excursions of the air-fuel ratio, loss in fuel control, that result in excessive tailpipe emissions. The TPS-APP provides input to changes in throttle angle and the rate of change. Because air moves at a different rate than that of fuel, the fuel injector pulse width changes with APP TPS input. This prevents the loss of fuel control and replaces the accelerator pump circuit of the carburetor. Deceleration and lean mint. During rapid closing of the throttle plate, fuel delivery would otherwise tend to be extremely rich, leading to excessive tailpipe emissions and exhaust backfiring. To, the, to prevent this from occurring, the ECU responds to this rapid change in APP by canceling all injector pulse widths as a result, the engine begins to slow with no combustion taking place. This drastically impacts MPGs as well. Together with the feedback system in place, heat exhaust gas oxygen sensors, short-term and long-term fuel trim, the engine is more likely to be fueled correctly under all operating conditions. Even when the ability to fuel correctly fails, the corrective factor comes into play and compensates for any deficiencies. Short-term fuel trim responds directly to the changes in the in the heated oxygen sensor air-fuel ratio. This is to compensate for any deficiencies detected in the exhaust system. Over time, the deficiency is learned 
and the long-term fuel trend will make that correction, sending the short-term fuel trend back towards zero correction. At this point, the deficiency is anticipated and compensated for before the combustion event occurs. This strategy prevents the deviation away from proper air-fuel ratio from occurring at all, and as a result, the tailpipe emissions remain at a minimum. Intake air temperature sensor, or what's also known as an IAT. This device is a negative temperature coefficient thermistor, and its input represents the temperature of the incoming air. The significance is that air is denser when it is cold. This means more cold air can fit in a given space than can warmer air. The equation to determine air mass is to multiply the density of the incoming air by the volume as measured by the MAF. Coolant temperature sensor, or what's also known as an ECT. Like the IAT, the ECT is a thermistor. However, this one references the temperature of the engine via the coolant. The significant is that cold engine surface limits gasoline volatility, its ability to evaporate. When an engine's cold, additional fuel must be delivered to compensate for this lack of volatility. As the engine warms, this negative characteristic is less of an issue to the additive fuel factor for a cold engine will, will taper off as well. At approximately 170 degrees Fahrenheit, there is no need to add any additional fuel to compensate for temperature. Throttle position sensor, which is known as a TPS, and accelerator pedal position sensor, which is known as an APP. These are, then to, these are there to represent the driver's intent. In years past, a step on the gas pedal tugged a throttle cable that is command to the throttle plate. However, we now request the throttle to open with input to the ECU from the APP. The significance is transient conditions are difficult for which to fuel properly. As a result, tailpipe emissions suffer the most during these changes in throttle catalyst operation. Within the exhaust stream lives the catalytic converter. This serves not as a shop vac, but more of a dustpan to further clean the engine's emissions. This delicate device functions due to chemistry and heat, or what I like to describe as an oven in self-cleaning mode. It exists to manage three very harmful gases. These are oxides of nitrogen, what's called, which is called NOx, hydrocarbons, known as HC, and carbon monoxide, known as CO. A combination of precious metals and the COHC from the engine allow the catalyst to chemically disassociate the NOx. It splits the nitrogen from the oxygen molecules. The nitrogen simply continues out through the tailpipe. A different combination of precious metals and oxygen left over from the engine exhaust gases derived from the converted NOx is used to oxidize or chemically convert the HC and CO into less harmful gases, which would be H2O and carbon dioxide. The takeaway is that it takes proper fuel control to maintain the functionality of the catalyst. As can be seen, it simply takes an understanding of whatever system you are faced with to analyze and diagnose a fault within that system accurately and efficiently. Computers are not smart. They simply do what they are programmed to do, and that it process inputs to great and that is process inputs to create outputs. Your job is to pursue the root cause and correct the deficiency. Technology is going to continue to increase, and these systems are going to appear smarter as time goes on. The system described above is indeed about 40 years old. Whatever is to come, I can assure you it will be here soon enough. Master the basics and grow that level of understanding, 
it will always serve you well. So that's it on that one there, folks. Uh, obviously kind of a lot going on, but um, it's been, uh, you know, I started studying cars and, and working on them as a hobby in the 70s. So yes, I was very, you know, and I took my initial automotive schooling as far as technical trade school in 1979. So yes, we were very much, um, you know, educated on carburetors. Um, you know, the last time a carburetor was used on a car in this country, I believe, was around 1992 or 3. So everything else after that is some form of quote-unquote fuel injection. So they've both been around for a long time. They both do a pretty good job. Um, but as the article was saying, you know, fuel injection is much more, it can be much more tightly controlled. Uh, the engine runs more efficiently most of the time. And um, so, yeah, that's the story on that. So I hope you got something out of it. I hope it was, uh, you know, interesting and, and um, you know, things to think about. Uh, again, get a hold of me, uh, bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under Brad Kyle's Motorworks. And, uh, you know, check out that website I was talking about, the podbean.com with Brad's, Brad Kyle's Motorworks website on it. Um, she's always, always talking. Um, and like I say, you can check me out on LinkedIn as well. So I appreciate your time listening. I hope you got something out of it and, um, we'll, uh, we'll talk again next time, so to speak. And, uh, I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.